episode 146 of Monster Kid Radio. We are kicking off this episode of the podcast with the song Release the Bats. It's from the EP, the album Release the Bats. It's by the band Aaron and the Burrs. It appears on this episode of the podcast with their permission. Find them at aaronandtheburrs.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's our website for this here podcast. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show. The show, the episode that's going to be going out the day before Halloween. And to celebrate Halloween, I thought I'd take us to the Hollywood Theater. The Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, recently showed a movie that is firmly in the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, even if it is slightly outside the time period that we normally cover here on the show. I'm talking about 1987's The Monster Squad by director Fred Decker. There was a number of Monster Kid Radio regulars there at the theater, so this episode is our thoughts on the film after the film, so I hope you stick around for that. First, let me tell you a little bit about our podcast. It's where we celebrate, like I said, the classic and not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Over the past 145 episodes, we've tried to cover various films, monster movies, science fiction movies, had interviews with authors and actors. We really try to celebrate the monster kid movies that we love so much. And I hope you're making an opportunity to watch at least one classic monster movie this Halloween season for yourself. I know I am. You're going to hear about my Halloween plans later in this episode. Over at monsterkidradio.net, you're going to find all of the information you need about the podcast. We have links to our Live 365 internet radio station. This is where you can tune in at Live 365 or through your smartphone and listen to music and sounds of classic monster and science fiction movies. Again, from the 30s to the 60s is our typical time frame, so that's what you're going to hear over there with the occasional radio spot or trailer. You can also find a link to every single band that's appeared here on the show, including Aaron and the Burrs, you're going to find a link to our Facebook group. This is where conversations happen with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes, so go check that out. We also have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio, like Stephen D. Sullivan. He's one of our patrons, and we appreciate your patronage. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners who listen to us here twice a week at monsterkidradio.net. If you are a user of iTunes, we do ask for your reviews. And if you are a Facebook user, we also have a Facebook page that you can like. We're trying to get up in numbers. We're trying to get more likes on Facebook. As of this recording right now, we have 384 likes. I'd love to see us get to, let's say, 400 by the end of the year. So if you're a Facebook user, please look us up and give us a like. Also at monsterkidradio.net are links to everything that you're going to hear in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. In the show notes, check it out. Now, in addition to the Monster Kid Radio crash, you're also going to get the last installment of our Countdown to Halloween series, Countdown to Lugosi Ween. This is part eight of this series. This has been a lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys and gals as well. So we're going to go to the Hollywood Theater here in a second. It's going to be me, Ray Jelinek, Chris McMillan, and Rick Myers talking about 1987's The Monster Squad and what this movie means to us. We're going to get to that right after this. Hey, you want to die, huh? Rev it up. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture-making, Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. 
from the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the carnival of souls. She is a girl driven mad by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. I like being with you, really I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. I want to be near you. Honey. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Carnival of Souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Well, listeners, I don't know if you could tell from the background music they're playing here at the Hollywood. I'm a little surprised this is what they're playing. But I am here for the Monster Squad. This is a Monster Kid Radio crash. I, oh boy, I can't wait. I, I don't normally do this uh, just because I'm a tall guy and I want to be respectful, but I'm sitting in the front row. I don't care. I am going to watch the Monster Squad 35 millimeter. I have almost a front row center seat. Now, I'm not here by myself. This is a Monster Kid radio crash. Ray Jelinek is somewhere behind me. Rick Myers, who was also on the show when we did the Santo movies, he's sitting somewhere behind me as well. Actually, I kind of have a pretty good idea as to where they're at. So if somebody hits me in the head with popcorn, I'm going to be able to know who it is, Ray. Rick. I know. I'm, well,. I probably won't know. I'm going to be too distracted by the movie. So I was talking with Ray. You're going to hear a confession about Ray later on after the movie. I have not seen this movie on the big screen. I've been joking about this for a long time. I can't wait. The more 
close we got to the actual showtime, I just got more and more excited. I actually worked today before coming out here to the Hollywood Theater. It was a long day. Not because it was just a normal work day, because, well, those days are long too, especially when it's a Friday, but it was a long day because I knew I had the Monster Squad after this. I haven't watched the movie in a long time. I have it on DVD and Blu-ray, but I am going to be covering it uh, with Ray and company after the show, get their thoughts. This is going to be exciting. I'm going to go ahead and turn off the recorder because I think the movie's going to start here soon, and I will check in with everybody after the movie. Who's your team? All right, son. Where are they? Where are the monsters? Mommy came in my house. Can somebody tell me what the Sam hell is going on around here? Well, we can't hear. Who are you? All right, the movie's over. I'm outside the Hollywood Theater. Uh, there was a good, pretty good crowd. I don't think it was a sold-out house, but people just don't know what they were missing. I sat in the front, like I told y'all I was going to, and to my right, one seat over, was Chris McMillan from The Chat Over Portland. He's outside with me now. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, I'm, I'm riding high. I'm, I'm feeling it, man. This oh. movie was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I forgot. I hadn't seen this movie in over 10 years. I forget how scary it really was. There are some moments in that. And then back behind me to my right was Ray Jelinek, who, like we said at the top, has never seen the movie, and he's got a big old permagrin on his face right now. What you think, brother? This this movie was... It was, it was there were a few scenes that were scary. When the Gill Man came out of the water to grab the Twinkie, not only I jumped, but... My fiance jumped as well, so we were engaged in that part. But all in all, I think this is one of my favorite movies of this genre. I would have to say, after only seeing it once, because it was it, it kept you engaged for the whole eighty, little over eighty plus minutes. And I mean the 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 visual effects were great. I mean it was all makeup and just simple special effects. I liked how the board, there was the one sequence on the board when the kid came in and he was looking at the whiteboard and it said uh, something like Professor Acular was inquiring about Van Halen's diary. <laughs> and I went, well, wait a minute. And then he started writing and I'm like, oh, okay, Dracula. It's Van Helsing's diary. Okay. But yeah, I, I enjoyed myself thoroughly and I'm probably going to go home and buy this on blu-ray as soon as i get home so i don't forget because it was i i will probably watch it a couple of more times when i get it so i know it's brand new for you so it's not like you've got to memorize or committed to memory like chris or i but what was your favorite part of the film wow um and i'm asking you next so okay <laughs> i i think one of my favorite parts was when dracula first appeared in the uh, the airplane when the when the pilot went back to check on cargo and boom there was you know 
and he pulled the lever and Dracula transformed into the bat and like suspended himself over the bomb chute as Frankenstein's uh, you know crate dropped and I was like wow <laughs> and just the, you know the transformation and then he dropped and just you know flew down that was one of my favorite parts of all I mean the whole movie I really can't really segment this whole movie yet because it's just it's still hitting me in the head about how awesome it was <laughs> alright Chris you're up what was your, what's your favorite thing of the Monster Squad oh man oh it's so hard to say, but I've got to say, um, Horace taking out the Gill Man. Oh. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Gill Man went down pretty easy, but it was just nice to see that kid come up on his own. I mean, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, the whole assault in the town square, amazing work. Um, and of course, the greatest line in cinematic history. You know it and I know it. Wolfman's <laughs> got nards. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he came up with that. I'd never heard the term nards until this movie, but it worked. And let's face it, Gilman was actually hor that was when pulling out the scary parts of it, Gilman was scary. Yeah. He that character was scary as hell in this. For as little screen time as he had. But he made the most of it. <laughs> so uh, for me, my favorite bit is towards the end. Climax is happening. Wolfman's been blown up. Gilman's been shot. It's now just Dracula and the kids. And there's the one shot where Dracula's standing there staring at the camera. And then he starts walking his way toward Phoebe. And he's tearing his way through the, to the cops. Mm -hmm. This is my favorite moment of the movie. And I have never seen this film and not gotten chills during that entire sequence and they don't go away until he says give me the amulet you bitch because that that yeah. to me is this is one of my favorite film Dracula's period because of his performance because of that scene so it's just insane I love it I did forget how badass he was walking through those cops God. he just nothing he didn't bat an eye he was ah I see what he did there ah uh -huh, yes <laughs> horrible pun oh I know but I mean he just was focused on the amulet and the girl and just everybody else was like oh you're just puppets oh you're nothing I don't care I'm just walking through you I'm breaking your neck mm -hmm. I'm just taking care of you and I'm going there yep bad badass Dracula <laughs> So I uh, got Rick Myers here uh, to my side, uh, to my left. He was in the movie as well. We were just going through talking about our favorite moments in the film. What's your favorite part of the Monster Squad? Well, of course, the obvious part, the, the Wolfman nutting scene. <laughs> you know, it, the, the thing is, is this film did what a lot of films try to do and don't always do is show kids as kids, kids the way they actually talk around each other the the trash talking that 10 and 9 year olds and 12 year olds do all the time and this film was for for a genre film it was more like not a genre film more like a coming of age film because yeah. of the honesty of the way the kids were portrayed and and Fred and and Shane Black were I think integral for to keeping that in there instead of doing a saccharine, watered-down version like you saw on E.T. or Goonies or Explorers that was the same but didn't show as the edginess of being a kid really is. But 
maybe that's because I grew up in the 70s in Southern California and that's kind of the way it was even 10 years later. Yeah. No, and, and I think, was it you I was talking to? No, it might have been you. I was, I'm pointing at people as if listeners on the podcast know who I'm pointing at. I was talking to somebody before the movie started about how, as much as we love the Goonies, it's a little sanitized, it's a little clean, whereas what Rick is saying is spot on. In this movie, these kids talk like kids, for better or worse, and Fred Decker, the director, talked about the political correctness and all that of now, and this movie, the kids felt real. Now, take it or leave it for what it is. I loved it. I think these kids, I would have joined them, would... Can we start a monster squad? There's four of us here right now. That would work. Can I'm, we I'm get completely down with that? Yeah. In there. Let's find a tree. Let's find a tree. Treehouse. I think that would be a so big Dracula tree can, with the guys here. So can <laughs> blow it up with the, with the explosives. Maybe a sequoia. Yeah, you're probably right. One or two. I like the priorities here. We need to find a, a treehouse first, then we'll go find monsters. I like the order here. That's. Oh, we got to an escape route. <laughs> you got to have a place to meet. Yeah. I cry a little bit when I watch that clubhouse get destroyed because of all the posters and the models and the famous monsters of Filmland magazines. It's like, my God. The treasure. I know. It's terrible. Thank God it was a film because you know they cleared all that stuff out. Uh, the funny thing is, is the one thing they were missing to have my, my uncle's treehouse from the 70s was eerie or creepy magazine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because even though it was like I said, ten years when this film came out, I was in college. I saw it in the theater then, but it reminded me so much of my own childhood ten years prior mm-hmm. that it was. That's to me, it was such a fun film and watching the way that that it was. You know, like I said, I grew up where they filmed it, not the town, but the the vicinity, and that's. A lot of that speech, a lot of that attitude was captured wonderfully. The Southern California flavor of the kids. So you saw it first in the theater. This is the first time for you. When was the first time you saw the movie, Chris? VHS back in the 80s. Yeah, me too. Uh, Did you rent it? Obviously you rented it. Yeah. Do you remember what it was like when you first saw it? I was really impressed. I mean, I, I'd seen Night of the Creeps before, and I mean, I was probably a little older than most of the people who saw this and really fell in love with it, but I still really appreciated the work. And the nice thing about seeing it here in the Hollywood Theater, there's so much I missed on, you know, watching it on TV. I mean, he really made some really great connections to the universal horror movies. Mm-hmm. You've got the Three Brides of Dracula. Mm-hmm. You've got Browning Air Freight. And my favorite part is the, what the hell are armadillos doing in Dracula's castle? <laughs> Which is right out of the Lugosi version. They're doing the exact same thing they were doing in 1931. Because <laughs> yeah, I watched the 31 version, it's like, what are armadillos doing there? And it's like, what are armadillos in the monster? Oh, right. It's in the original. <laughs> well, see, that little touch shows how I'm going to take it back to another film that was an homage and parody, Young Frankenstein. It has a lot mm-hmm. of, because like Young Frankenstein, this loved the movies they were commenting on. It wasn't just, you know, it comes off as a family, family fun romp slash horror film, but... In a way, it is an homage or parody of it as well. Oh, yeah. And and the scene where Frankenstein comes upon uh, Phoebe, the mm-hmm. little girl, it's like, this is just right out of the original Frankenstein. I mean, 
Fred Decker did a great job homaging all those movies we love. Everything. Anything you want to see is in there. You know, there, there are moments where it's like, yeah, that's from this movie. It was, it was wonderful to see on the big screen. This, for me, is what informed werewolves for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. The half-torn shirt, the white half-torn shirt, that, to me, was the image. You couldn't be a werewolf unless you had a white shirt that was all torn up. Which is kind of out of the Hammer uh, film. Curse we're- of the Werewolf, which we're covering on 1951 Down Place later this month. Yes, exactly. Plug. I'm glad to allow that segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my, what, uh... What really, for me, werewolves was a little bit earlier was Howling. Yeah. Uh, that and, and, of course, American Werewolf of London. And I saw those, of course, that's, before this. That's where mine began, was American Werewolf of London. That was the first werewolf film I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I had nightmares for months after seeing that movie. <laughs> Especially with the scene within a scene. Where he's in the in the oh, hospital yeah, having yeah. the fever dreams. Oh, yeah. And he wakes up out of one and falls right into another one. Yep. So, yeah. But the, my only main question for this movie was, how did the amulet make it from Romania to L.A.? The same way the journal did. Oh. And I'm sure, it, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. Th- and how did Dracula know that the guy would open the Bombay doors at the exact right time? You know, you, yeah. I, I have a question. Was that Fred Decker as the pilot? You know, it looked a little bit like him, but I was watching the end credits just to see. And I don't think it was him, but it sure looked and sounded like a younger Fred Decker, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I thought the same thing. (laughs) So I've been looking for that end title rap song for years on an official soundtrack release. It's never happened. I don't know why. Sarcasm. Um, the song that I tried to ask Fred Decker about. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to ask you, what was the question? He completely went, next question. So I, I brought it up to be funny because I know it's something that the studio threw. And it was actually in another movie before this called Honk. Called what? Honk. Honk. Oh, I thought you said honk. No, honk. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I found out the song was by a guy named Michael Cimbello. And in the, I don't know, shortly after the year 2000, I found him online through his website and emailed him and said, I'm looking for this song. Has it ever been released anywhere on CD? I would gladly buy it. I'll buy it from you if you have it on disc. He sent me an MP3 of the song. So the MP3 copy of the song that I have comes straight from the guy who did the music to begin with. It is so dumb, but I, I can't hear it without thinking I'm going to go fight monsters. You know what Michael Sabello is famous for? Mm. Maniac from yeah from Flashdance. Yep. Right. So yeah, he's a, he's a movie guy. He does all these yeah, but it's so I can't hear the song without thinking. You know, I'm going to go make steaks. Well, I'm going to go make badly photocopied business cards. <laughs> my problem is I kept thinking about the montage routine. We're doing a montage, you know? <laughs> We're doing a montage, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, if I could have grown up with those kids, man, I would have... This movie brings me back to a childhood that I didn't have, but I sure wish I did. I love this film, and I'm so glad you got... I'm, I'm stoked that you loved it. Yeah. And, and see, I mean, this was... When you, when you talk about sanitization... Yeah. My household, when growing up with my mom, I didn't get this exposure to horror films (laughs) my mom was the more of the dark side which is kind of shocking movie wise I went to The Howling 
um, Squirm at the drive-in theater when it first came out. Um, You know, movies like that. Uh, American Werewolf in London. I mean, these are movies I watched with my mom. So I was was more of the darker edge. So this, if I... That explains a lot, actually. I would have gone, well, this is kind of, you know, at the time, lame. But seeing it now, after seeing so many different genres, I'm... I'm blown away by it. The thing is, is with me, I didn't get into horror until I was in my teens because I, as Derek knows, I spent a lot of time in very horrifying situations as a kid in hospitals. So to me, by I could handle the black and whites, but when I first saw Christopher Lee, I was I had to use the restroom very quickly. <laughs> it, it, it's just Lee scared the living crap out of me, literally, as a child. So I I it wasn't until I was in the teens and I said recently remarked to Derek on online, you know, the two movies that got me going back to those films because in the eighties I was watching all the new stuff was Captain Kronos and Polanski's Fearless Vampire Killers, and I know that movie doesn't really hold up as much as for for the time. But both of those made me realize that there was more to that genre from the from the 50s, 60s, and early 70s that I needed to go back to. And anytime I've seen any of the Hammer horror films or the uh, trying to think of the name, um, the Dunwich. Horror is that the one with uh, Dean Stockwell? Yes. Yeah. That those type of films. In fact, that was part of the reason why I kept trying to explain to people that that uh, '80s metal wasn't so much satanic, but they were talking about the horror films they grew up loving, which was Hammer, which was the the, the Devil Has a Daughter, which was you know all those type of films were becoming songs in these bands' repertoire. And it wasn't about being, you know, hail Satan. It was about these horror films, and a lot of people don't didn't catch that. Has the Monster Squad turned up in music at all? Has, has there been? I mean, it sounds like the name of a band. I mean, if if, not, if we can't find monsters to fight, can we just be, be a band called the Monster Squad? Yeah, honestly, of all the bands that I grew up with through the '80s and '90s, I would say if any of the bands would have done a Monster Squad song, it probably would have been Anthrax, but. Yeah, Anthrax, or maybe like would Danzig have done something with it? Maybe, or even even you know well, even maybe. Slayer or Iron Maiden would have even gone that yeah. direction. Yeah. Uh, or the Groovy Ghoulies. Well, yeah, oh yeah, with your more punk rockabilly sure. look. But you know, it's and I wouldn't be surprised if one of your newer punk bands, for me, newer means anything post nineties, <laughs> where have done. Would have done a song about this, having grown up with during this era. So who knows? There may be music out there. It's just not in the genre we're. Yeah, if there's any listeners who know anything about it, I want to go ahead and wrap up because it's starting to get chilly and we need to call it a night. But before we go, I'm going to go around. I'm going to start with Rick and go around with you guys. What are you doing Halloween night? Um, probably sitting in my room watching horror movies. Good man, Chris. Well, it's either sitting in my room watching horror movies or going to the Joy Cinema to see House of Wax in 3D if it's playing on Halloween, because what better way? And that's I'm not getting paid for that plug, but come on. It's Vincent Price, Charles Bronson, Paddle Balls, all in 3D, and a killer, scarred killer. I can't think of a better way to spend Halloween night. 
I was on the fence until you said paddle ball. So now I'm there. No. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ray? Uh, my fiance and I are heading back actually to Newport, Oregon to uh, do another uh, trip for Samhain because we did a, a trip last year to mm-hmm. establish it. Because for us, Samhain is, is a very life-changing time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to you know reaffirm our changes and move forward from there. should be a fun time. I'm, I'm not going to Newport. But I am going to be watching movies. I may not be wearing pants, but that's just how I roll. So. Pants are always <laughs> optional. Guys, thank you for joining me for this crash and for chatting with us on Monster Kid Radio. You guys have a good one. Uh, can we get it one more time about the Wolfman on three? One, two, three. Wolfman's, Wolfman's got, got nards! That was a ton of... Of fun. Fred Decker, the director himself, was there for a Q&A session around about half an hour after the movie. Also, real quick, we did talk a little bit about where the movie was set. Turns out this movie was actually set in Louisiana, and I learned that thanks to the website Branded in the 80s. They covered the Monster Squad this month as part of their countdown to Halloween. Look them up over at brandedinthe80s.com, and that's 80s as an 8-0 and then the letter S.com. Or follow the link in the show notes and go check them out. And if you do interact with them, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Now, we shared with everybody what we're doing for Halloween been some changes to my schedule since that recording. It looks like that Halloween night, Friday night, I'm actually going to be going back to the theater. I'm going to the Joy Cinema this time for a screening of House of Wax, the original film with Vincent Price in 3D. So I know it's last minute, but if you're in the area, well, you know to look for me, right? It's going to be a lot of fun. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. The curse of the werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. To this Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf, a man possessed by a desperate need for love, who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me? 
Will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, will you marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to talk about all of Bela Lugosi's films in this countdown to Lugosi Ween. There's just not time, and besides, I haven't even seen them all. As much as I love Lugosi's work, there are several movies out there just waiting for me to discover. And what I really love is when I discover a Lugosi film by accident. Like the time I was walking through the living room and found my wife watching a bit of a movie on TCM. The movie was Nonichka, and while my wife's attention was caught by Greta Garbo, my attention was piqued when I caught a glimpse of Bela Lugosi on screen. Now, in 2006, I made another accidental Lugosi discovery. I was at that year's H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and one of the short movies shown was an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Director Raul Garcia got his hands on a recording of Lugosi himself reading the classic Poe short story and created a movie around it. Now, there wasn't much to it, stills and a few animated images, if I remember correctly, but it was effective and creepy. Now, where did this recording come from? Well, Lugosi performed The Telltale Heart on stage in the 1940s, and the best guess is that this is some sort of rehearsal recording or something along those lines. It runs just over 13 minutes. It's not the cleanest recording, but damn if it isn't creepy. He plays with his accent a little bit here and there, and he lets his voice dance up and down the scale as he recites the Poe story. It's something that's stuck with me ever since I saw the short film. And if I'm being completely honest... Lugosi's reading of the story is what stuck with me, not necessarily the images. While I don't have a copy of the movie itself, I have found copies of that voice recording on YouTube. I linked to one in the show notes. Now, another Lugosi film that will always stick with me is The Devil Bat. I can't remember for sure, but I think The Devil Bat was a first-time viewing for me when I was asked by Vince Rotolo to be a guest host on his B-movie cast to discuss the film back in 2011. This 1940 movie was the first horror film to be released by Producers Releasing Corporation, and it really did set the tone and mood for a lot of the Poverty Row horror films to come. This would be Gene Yarbrough's first time directing a feature-length film, although The Devil Bat just barely qualifies as a feature. It's only 68 minutes long. Now, in it, Bela Lugosi plays Dr. Paul Carruthers. And yep, he's a mad scientist type. But he's not just an introverted crazy man in his lab in this movie. He's actually out and about, interacting with his victims and their family. Carruthers is an interesting character. He's taking revenge on a family that technically didn't do anything wrong to him. The situation he's in? It's not really anyone's fault. It just kind of happened. Carruthers is a victim of bad timing at best, really, and Lugosi plays a character as both someone who's regretting a decision he made and maybe even regretting what he's doing to deal with his frustration. When he delivers what is essentially the bait for the murder weapon, 
The movie is called The Devil Bat, so you can guess what the murder weapon is. He displays a sense of remorse, and despite what he's doing to these people in the film, I still feel a little bad for him. I have this movie on Blu-ray now, and I've watched it quite a few times. I've watched the Lugosi-less sequel, The Devil Bat's Daughter, and The Flying Serpent, the kind of sort of remake with George Zuko. Neither of these really live up to The Devil Bat and don't add much to the original film. After watching The Devil Bat for the B-movie cast, but before the actual recording of that show, I was sitting at my computer working on something or other, much like I am right now as I'm recording. Here at Monster Kid Radio headquarters, immediately to my right is a window looking out into the backyard area of the condominium complex that I call home. It was early evening, and as was typical back then, my cat Ket was sitting on the desk, laying out beneath the raised computer monitor, his eyes closed, but one of his paws constantly reaching out to get me to stop typing or moving the mouse. Suddenly, there was a loud thump. Ket popped up, and both he and I looked out the window, and seemingly plastered against it was a bat. Time stopped for me, my cat, and the bat. Cat and I stared at the bat for what must have only been a few seconds, but it did feel a lot longer. And then, just as quickly, the bat flew away. Cat and I both then looked at each other, and I don't know if I've really seen a cat shrug his shoulders, but I'm pretty sure that's what he did. And then he laid back down. As if the devil bat didn't have enough creepy in it to stand out in my mind as one of Lugosi's best films. Now, I've immensely enjoyed this count on the Lugosi Ween. It's something that I've wanted to do podcast-wise for a long time, and I'm sure I'll come back to Lugosi again in a future series. A Lugosi Ween Part 2, perhaps. I do know that I'm going to try to find a Lugosi film I haven't watched yet and add it to my to-watch pile for Halloween Day. brings us to the end of episode 146 of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Ray Jelinek, Chris McMillan, and Rick Myers for joining me for the Monster Kid Radio crash at the Hollywood Theater. Big thanks to the Hollywood Theater. They do a bang-up job when they bring these movies in. And I have to tell you, as of this recording, I've already been to the Monster Kid Radio crash of the Hammer Films double feature. That was a ton of fun as well. You're going to hear that on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. For a sneak peek of that, however, tune in over at 1951downplace.com. That's the website for the podcast, 1951downplace. Your home for Hammer Films discussion on the web. I'm one of the co-hosts over there, and I introduced the discussion of the movie The Curse of the Werewolf on that show, and I actually recorded that introduction sitting in the Hollywood Theater waiting for Twins of Evil and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed to start. So get a sneak preview, just a tiny bit of me over there on that podcast, and then, like I said, we'll have the actual crash and the recording that took place on a future episode right here. Coming up in the future, I've got a lot of big plans. I need to send some emails out and line up some new guests. I want to get back to talking about movies on a more regular basis here on the show. I want to thank everybody for sticking with us while we go through all these crashes here in the month of October. This is Halloween season. It's a busy time for us here at MKR headquarters, and I hope you've enjoyed the shows. Big thanks to Aaron and the Burrs for allowing us to play their music here on the show. I figured... The song was appropriate, considering one of the movies we spoke about in the final installment of the Countdown to Lugosi Ween. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. The music played during Lugosi Ween was Dance Macabre, Sad Part, No Violin by Kevin McLeod. You can find him at incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by attribution 3.0 license. Find out more about that over at monsterkidradio.net. The song Release the Bats belongs to Aaron and the Burrs. It appears on 
on their album, Release the Bats. You can find them over at Aaron and the Burrs.bandcamp.com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, talk to everybody soon. Hey. 